I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get shows. And if you like what we're doing, please spread the word. If you'd like a pictorial and caption companion to the podcast, follow at Pada Bing on Instagram. And as always, thank you for listening and being part of this amazing and surreal journey with us. This is a conversation I had with Joe Penny, who played Vic Musto on the show. Joe joined me in studio where we discussed his experience and involvement with the show, including a revelation that he was on the Tony Soprano shortlist. Joe's smile today is as powerful and piercing as it was on the show, and his insights and perspective were equally great. So here it is, my conversation with Joe Penny. Joe. Yes, sir. Thank you for being here. So you were born in London, right? That's right. What were your parents doing in London? My dad was in the military, uh, Air Force, and uh, my uh, mother lived there. And so that's how he met her. And then I happened. So um, he was in the Korean War, my dad. They lived there for uh, about a year, and then we came back to the States. So let's try to elegantly draw a line from London to North Jersey, okay? <laughs> what were you doing pre-Sopranos? What was your career? Uh, how did you get into acting, and how did you kind of build your way to the Sopranos? Um, okay, let's start with how I got into acting. I, I wish I could give you a real exciting story. It just basically, I was about 17, 18, and um, a couple of guys, uh, me and a couple of guys, were going up to Sunset Boulevard to look at the girls and uh, hang out. And, um, you know, that was in the 70s. And at that time, you could hang out on Sunset Boulevard and everybody's playing music and having a good time. And it was kind of, uh, it was really interesting for, for us uh, at that age. Um, one of these trips on the way, uh, had to pick up a friend of a friend who was in this acting class. And I didn't know what that was. I thought it was a class of some sort. Fine. We got to the acting class and they were going a little over. And a gentleman came to the door and said, uh, we're still shooting, but you can come in uh, at the break. When you see the red light, come in at the break. I'll open the door. You guys can sit in the back. And we got about another half hour. So I'm fine. And so uh, I watched all the things that were going on with the scenes and the cold readings. Well, this was scene night, and this was prepared stuff, polished stuff. And um, they were shooting two cameras, had a big monitor. Back then, big monitor was just a big big television, split screen. And they would shoot the scenes, and then the teacher would uh, play it back and uh, critique. And they'd go and shoot it again until they got it where they wanted it. And um, it's kind of a long, drawn-out story. That fascinated me. I'd never seen anything like that. Um, At the cut of each scene teacher would come in they would uh, they were off their mark or they were in a shadow or whatever and i'd never seen the process and then they would say action and these people were making me cry i mean they had me and uh that was that so you've acted on the other side before we talk sopranos you've acted on the other side of the mafia table um in the sopranos you were a civilian um, yes. But you played Bugsy Siegel in a TV miniseries in the 80s. That's correct. 
Um, was there any connection with that work to The Sopranos? Did that help you get to The Sopranos? Is there any link there, or is that are they two separate things completely? Excellent question. Um, there is a link in term in terms of that time, that era, um, and giving you that because it didn't really in the forties. It it did fine. It did change in a finite way. The whole gangster mob thing, John Gotti thing in the sixties and seventies, and um, it did change. And it wasn't, hey, you guys with cigars and Tommy guns. It got more refined. So that was my first experience of doing a show like that. So when I got this to The Sopranos, I was already in that head. It didn't throw me off at all. I was kind of used to that genre. But you, as you say, I didn't have to worry about that so much because I was a civilian. Yeah, yeah. So that, you know, I could just, uh, that gave me a lot of leeway. Yeah, you played Vic Musto on the show. Uh, yes. Two episodes, mm-hmm. first Bust Out, and then The Night in White Satin Armor. Um, so great, how, great song by the Moody Blues, man. Yeah. It's a great song. <laughs> so how did, the, how did The Sopranos happen for you? What's the backstory? Um, prior to The Sopranos, I was, um, I was doing okay. You know, I'm doing some uh, MOWs, Movie of the Weeks, which nobody knows what that is anymore, but... Um, the the old folks out there know what that is. Um, those are the two hour television movies, and uh, that were very very prevalent in the eighties and into the nineties. Um, and then jumping around doing decent guest stars here and there, you know, looking for looking for something. I had done a series called Riptide. I had done a series called Jake and the Fat Man. Um, right, which to be honest, I'd never heard of until I was planning to sit down with you. But man, what confidence for a title! Well, originally it was called The Fat Man, and uh, my manager, when we were making the deal, he said, listen, you're going to be carrying the ball 40 times a game. You better call it Jake. We better get it Jake and The Fat Man. By the way, I I didn't mean to cut you off, but you just smiled, and (laughs) I saw uh, Victor Musto. The the, the, the smile just like... You know, that's makes, what they said. Keep that, smiling. That makes Carmela fall into the into herself. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, thank you. <laughs> listeners can't see that, but I just did, and it's it's right there in front of me. Um, so I, I just I had the movies, and I had the uh, guest stars and things, and I've done I'd done a lot of stuff. And um, what's interesting about this for me is when this thing came up, I had already tested for. Uh, uh, I'd seen David Chase. I'd seen him for. James, pardon, James Gandolfini. And it was me, James. When I say test, let me, uh, it got down to about five guys, if I remember right. And uh, I was one of them, and James was one of them. Now, I knew James from doing other shows prior. Um, I was playing bad guy number two, number three. He was playing bad guy number four, and then so on and so forth. And then some of the shows I'd done, I had done, I played leads, and James came in. So we had a little bit of, we knew each other. And, uh, but as soon as I saw James, I hadn't seen him in a lot of years. I saw him and I said, well, this is Tony Soprano. This is the guy. What am I doing here? Uh, you could just see it. You could just see it. What did you see? Uh, there was a thickness to him and there was a toughness to him and there was a little boy to him and there was a, Oh, not a pretty guy, but yet you couldn't stop looking at him kind of a vibe. I, I, I can't be any more eloquent than that, but he, but he stuck out. He really stuck out. And, you know, they weren't going. I, I looked around and I, I thought, you know, I'm just, I'm too, I'm not the guy. But I went in and did my bit. Long story short, James ended up getting the role. So I had that in my, I had that going on when this 
the Sopranos came back to get me again in, in 2000. So you were a known quantity in the sense that you had already read for the lead yeah, role. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard that story at least on two different occasions. Probably, about yeah. act, I talked to Sandra Santiago, who uh-huh. was on Miami Vice, and sure. she was Jeannie Cusimano on the show. Uh-huh. She read for the role of Dr. Melfi, and she was on the short list. You're kidding. I didn't she know She was that. on the short list for Dr. Melfi, and she almost kind of communicated to me. That interview's live, by the way. You can go listen to that. Okay. She said something to the effect of, like, I almost felt like David felt wanted to find something for me because I was almost there. David Just, Chase. David to, Chase. yeah. yeah. Did you have a similar experience with, with Vic Musto? Is that No. Oh, with David? No. With like, I, I had just the opposite. I okay. mean, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble here, but they they didn't really want me. Um, uh, how this all happened was I got a call from uh, my manager at the time, Herb Nanis, and uh, said, hey, this, you know, this... Uh, Soprano thing, they want you to read and blah, 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 blah. He says, uh, can, you, can you get it? Do you have a camera? Do you have a... You, you got to tape something and you got to put it in the mail. They need to have it by tomorrow. I mean, can you get it there tonight? And it's like 11 o'clock in the afternoon. And I said, well, wait, I, I don't get it. What, what do you mean? Well, you know, my, my, my manager was New York, very Jewish. Uh, Darling, look, here's what we got to do. You got to shoot this thing. You got to put it in a box. You got to put it on a plane. You got to get it there. They, they're under the, the casting. They want us. Okay. So I said, well, I got a camcorder. All right. Well, they sent me the sides. Um, <laughs> I didn't know what to do with the camcorder. I wasn't a cameraman, but it's pretty much turn it on and shoot, but I needed somebody to shoot it. So I called a friend of mine, and, you know, the minutes and the hours are taken away. I called a friend of mine, and I said, Jimmy, can you come over and do this? And so I well, I just put the thing up on sticks. I blocked it off in my kitchen. I lit it real well, put a black dra- uh, backdrop uh, behind me, and just did it down and dirty. That's all they wanted. So, of course, I got David Lean with the thing and started to try to be creative. <laughs> <laughs> so I called my manager said, could you just point the camera at your face and shoot it for God's sakes we gotta get this to them by them so I did that so Jimmy came over we ran it a few times we looked into the camera uh, we picked the best best take out of uh, the scenes and uh, which was only two scenes and um, I looked and sticked that thing and I took it down to FedEx uh, in Toluca Lake California I was living at the time and um Put it in the mail. And that's how that happened. Did you know about the second appearance after the first one? Had the story been fleshed out that much? I didn't know what any of the stories were about because I never got scripts. It was just your scenes? <laughs> just the scenes, yeah. Can you share any stories from the set? Yeah. And I'll t- let, me give you actually, sure. let me give you some context. So you've been on lots of other shows uh-huh. as, a, as either a guest star or a series regular. You mentioned Riptide, Perry Mason, Twilight Zone, Matlock, Jake and the Fat Man. Um, can you convey to listeners any difference or specialness or je ne sais quoi on the Soprano set versus the other shows? Yes. Let me just preface this with... When I did that tape and sent it off, um, I was happy to do it, even though it was a little stressful. I didn't mind it that much. It was just, you know, at least I could control it. I could do it. I could see what I did, edit it, and then send it out. Um, the people around me were more excited than I was. Because of the show? Because of the show. Now, you got to get... Uh, I hadn't watched the show. I knew it was a hit. I wasn't naive. 
in this in this in this uh, vein, I, I wasn't naive that it, w- it was not a hit show. Of course, I knew it was a hit show. I had not followed the arc. I hadn't been watching the show. Why? Now that I think about it, it was probably because I went up for a part, major part on it, and didn't get it. Thought, okay, God bless him. I'm going to go on with my life. So us as actors, well, at least I do. I t- we tend to do that. You know? Compartmentalize. Yeah, I didn't need to. I, I watched it a couple times, and James was just what we thought we, he was going to be. He was out of control brilliant. Sounds a little heavy for people to hear that. Uh, well, I don't know people old brilliant. And he, was, he was the guy. I mean, it was, you just, everything about him, he was the guy. Anyway. I was told by my manager, he called me, and I called him and told him I sent the tape off and we did all this stuff and I got my friend to shoot it, so on and so forth. He was really, really relieved and happy. And he said, look, you know, um, don't get too excited about this. Um, you know, they're not crazy about L.A. actors. And I, uh, he said, David's not, you know, because I would, I'd asked him, you know, now that I, now, because I, I'd asked him, what was the big deal? Why couldn't they find somebody in New York? They couldn't. And Georgina Walken, and I want to specifically mention her name, she was my hero. She was my champion. She was the one that said, no, David, this is the guy. And no, no in deference to David, he was a New York guy. I get it. You know, L.A. are kind of L.A. folks, and New York are kind of New York folks, and sometimes there's a little... Uh, you know, David's used to what he's used to. I get it. Um, so I didn't take that personally, but when I got called to do the part, I thought, oh, geez, I'm going in. They really didn't want me, but that was the best they could do. That's what went into my insecure little head, that I had to fight uh, to get there. Like, uh, okay, he'll do. We're not really into L.A. actors, and they really wanted to find somebody in New York, but they were frustrated. I thought, okay, that didn't wig me out too much. I thought, well, I just got to get in the ring and just start. I got to slug, man. Uh, you know, I got to take every round. So that was what was in my mind going there. And it was kind of way back there in the mind, in my mind. And I was really looking forward to doing the show. Um, Did you watch episodes leading up to it? Uh, you know, I can't remember. I probably did. That sounds like something I would do. Okay, so cut print. I get on a plane. I go there four days ahead of time because I don't have a script. They wouldn't give me a script in L.A. And um, you got to remember, we're talking about 19, well, 2000, well, we're in 2019 almost here now. You saw a little bit of that, but you didn't see a lot. I didn't. Because actors, when you, that's, your, that's, your, that's your map. You know, that's your, that, those are your, that's your playbook. So not getting one. And not being able to prepare. So you get a little bit of, you can get a little bit nuts in your head, depending how secure you are or not secure you are. And it was kind of, I was thinking, okay, well, I'll get there and they'll give me a script. I got there and uh, went down the set, met the folks, met the people, asked for a script. They wouldn't give me a script. So now I'm getting a little bit bugged. Because <laughs> I'm four days, uh, four days ahead of time. I'm over at the St. John's Hotel. I'm sitting twiddling my thumbs, and I asked why. Why, uh, why, the, why don't I get the script? Who'd you ask? Uh, I asked my manager. So he called, he called the casting. They said, well, they're still cleaning it up, and that's one truth. The other truth is they're not crazy about handing out scripts before we do the show. <sighs> okay. 
I said, well, it's it's their ball game, man. I you know it's their world. I just I'm just living in it. So okay. So the day before we had the started shooting, and I don't know if anyone's told this story, but it, I I just thought it was bizarre. Looking back on it now, it's brilliant. At the time, I didn't know what the heck was going on. <laughs> we got to the rehearsal room. And outside the rehearsal room, we had to show ID. I had to show my driver's license before I got a script. That was really me. Okay, that was a first for me, but okay, I'm with the group. <laughs> so the guy handed me a script. So we went in <clears throat> and read through. And uh, it was a pretty quick read because they were on a lunch break. Do you remember who you sat next to? No, I don't. Uh, I think it might have been Rob- oh, Robert Patrick who played my brother-in-law, mm-hmm. who was great in this thing, good actor. And uh, at the end of the read-through, David, who was sitting off to my right. David Chase. David Chase. My memory serves me well. We had to sign a little voucher saying that we wouldn't talk about the show. We wouldn't discuss it, any scenes, any people, anything on the set, so on and so forth, et cetera, et cetera. And we had to give our word on that, plus sign a piece of paper. That's what I remember. And I thought, okay, this is, all right, this is, this is too, this is cloak and dagger, man. I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> this is a little over the top, and it annoyed me. Didn't blame David. Didn't blame anyone else. It's just, why are we doing this? Um, can't they just take me at my word? So I got a little, that was just me being defensive and being, a, you know, a young kid. So went on and did the show. And we can talk about some of the things that happened in the show. But just to button out that last thing I said, the reason why David Chase did that, and I was just too stupid and naive at the time to understand that he knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew exactly what was, people were going to say to me. He knew exactly what they were going to ask me. And he was getting killed with his storylines getting out. I mean, in terms of the script, they didn't like the scripts being laid around. Don't leave your script. Well, I found out later as I dug in a little bit that they have had people come on and, and you know, get paid by Inquirer and this, these, this and this and that by, hey, what happened? Well, who said what? What's the show about? He was protecting his investment, and that's all he was doing. Why? Because he's so damn smart. Beautifully said. And he did not, did not care an iota what you thought. Hey, loved you. Thanks for being here. But just, hey, man, I got a... It wasn't a big hit. This was a monster. God, I can't remember the last time that something like this got out, especially on HBO. So anyway, everything that happened to me after that is exactly what David said was going to happen. So I underestimated him. Didn't I, I know it was a hit show, but I just didn't know how big it was. I'll just leave it at that. It was huge. Did you have any personal encounters with him when you were there? With David? Yeah. Anything that you can share, or is it? Yeah. Yeah, a couple of things. You kind of give an idea, give me a glimpse of it now, but in terms of the type of ship he ran... He was the boss. He was a man on a mission. He knew where the bodies were buried, and he knew how to get from A to Z, and he didn't tell you how to get there. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and you know what? Since the show, I'm kind of going off script here a little yeah, bit. Yeah, sure. Have you met anybody as formidable since? Is there a modern-day analog to the experience? Yeah, there were a couple guys... Um, Michael Mann was one. There were a few. Michael Mann was one. Um, 
Another guy by the name of Steve Cannell was another one. Totally changed my life for the good. But same kind of driven to the point, hey, we'll talk about it later. Here's what we need to do kind of guy. David? Can you, I, can you articulate what you mean by driven? I don't think, I mean, you always hope things go well and uh, with your show, whether you're executive producer uh, or casting or, or, or acting or, or as an actor in front of the camera or whatnot, but you just never know what's where it's going to go. You know, it looks great and you like it. Everybody else likes it. Hope the audience likes it. I don't think David Chasen is uh, in any way sat there and said, I got a big hit on my hands. Let's go shoot it. In the second year, that thing was out of control. My life um, changed a little bit after that. Just those two episodes. Phone calls? Oh, my God. It was ridiculous. More than ever before? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Uh, I was getting casting calls just to talk. I, got, I should, shouldn't say that. One casting call for a Denzel Washington movie, and I can't I just remember Denzel was in. I can't remember. I'm too old now. Can't remember the name of the movie. Anyway, went on the interview because I was right for one of the parts, read it, so on and so forth. We had a nice little pre-talk, a little talk before the reading. We did the reading after the reading. They usually say, well, thanks for coming by, and that's your cue to get up and get the hell out. (laughs) You don't go on with your story. And they wanted to talk about Sopranos. They talked about As fans. As fans. They wanted to talk about Sopranos prior to me getting there, when I got there. The reading was null and void. It, It didn't matter. It was just that I just... You were co- there. I was there, and they'd seen the show, and so on and so forth, and they wanted to talk about aspects of the show, what happened on the show, who said what, and how is it to work with, okay, well, how did you guys do that? Are you really working it? Is it Silver Cup Studios? You're I mean, they, they just... It was crazy, and I... I mean, I, I was invited to parties. I was invited on to this... And I, I You're know, back in L.A. You I, I didn't know who these people are. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but I had been on The Sopranos. And, uh, yeah, it got me a few more interviews. I mean, yeah. it, it didn't... My career was, was doing real well at the time. Right. Um, so it wasn't like started my career, but it, it had a major impact. Um, and, again, I underestimated the whole thing. I was just thinking about doing the part and doing a good job. How dialed in was Robert Patrick for that role? Because he felt formidable in the limited time that we see him on screen. Talk about that experience. Well, you look at his talent. I mean, the guy's, you know, the guy's formidable. Yeah, he's very, very good. You get in the ring with a guy like uh, Robert Patrick, you you better know what the hell you're doing, you know? Um, He and I became buddies real quick because we were both kind of fish out of water, kind of coming on the show at the same time, um, L.A. guys, Meaning we lived in L.A. I lived in New York in my life, but lived in L.A. And um, just kind of starting at the same time, so that formed a bond. And uh, we knew some of the same people, so on and so forth, as they did on the show with David Proval. And, uh, Love David Proval. Oh, isn't he great? Yeah. I've been and, trying uh, to reach out to him for over a year. He's, yeah, yeah. And we're just about to finish season two. Yeah. Um, any experience with him that you can share? No, I knew David. You knew him. I knew okay. him. So, hey, Joe, how you doing? What's going on? Hey, yeah, go, what are you doing? On the, oh, okay. All right. Well, no, I'll be around. We'll go grab a lunch or something. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's David. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but Richie, but Richie April, one of the best antagonists ever on TV. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I didn't work with any of those folks. I yeah. just, I worked with Edie and I worked with, uh, didn't have anything with James. No. Uh, if you look at the storyline, of course I wouldn't have anything with James. 
um, and I worked with uh, Robert Patrick, uh, those two people. And um, It was great, though, the scene where you're at the paint store with Carmela and you tell your counterpart, do you know who she's married to? It felt like, you know, you, you acted that, like, you know, like the, the weight of James was on your shoulders and you were a big dude yeah, in, that, in, that, yeah. in that episode and the specter of him shrunk you. In that moment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that that's great. what you wanted. That's yeah. what you want to play. You want to get that from the actor. You yeah. don't want to play against your body size and body type. You wanted to see that he was broken. He was yeah. breaking down. He yeah. couldn't do this. So um, how do you do that without without indicating and, and, and acting, acting, acting? You just got to find some way to feel it. And so, um, but when you saw James, because I watched James work on on set specifically for that reason because I wanted to get a sense of him, of him in real life doing this, not just on television. I mean, they can do a lot of smoke and mirror stuff on television. I wanted to watch him work, how he put it together. And that was impactful for me. Um, yeah, he, he just knew what he was doing. He was, boy, he just, man. One or two things you can share that you saw that kind of like... It's just the way, you know, when I saw James, um, we were all going into, we were all bringing, being brought on, summoned to the set. And I said hello to Edie. I didn't know Edie Falco. I was a big fan, but I didn't know her. Loved her work. How can you have a, any blood in your body and be breathing on this earth and not love this girl's work? Um, and I mean that. I, I wouldn't say these things if I didn't mean it. And I was really happy to be working with her. And, uh, of course, Robert was there and David was there and uh, Lorraine, I'd seen she was gone her way to her... Uh, dressing room or whatever to get her makeup and james i i was looking for james i didn't see james and i knew he i i had the uh i had the call sheet and i knew that he was going to be working with edie well, where's james i look in the back in the corner back of the wall there in this long line of people and people gathered around and there's james i kind of hey how are you <laughs> how you how are you doing yeah. hey thanks for doing the show <laughs> hey good to see you I can't do a James Gandolfini accent, but um, he was just very shy. He's not a shy guy, kind of to himself, smiling, a nice guy, but he wasn't. He wasn't Tony Soprano. He so he was. turned it on. So when you saw him get in the ring, it's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> he just he became it, <clears throat> and you know you hear that a lot. But boy, when you, I don't know, I know what it means to me when you see it, and you know it's hard to fool another actor if they've been around for a while. But when you see it. You go, wow. It's like really a, good. <laughs> it's like basketball players, you know. So if you, unless you oh, see yeah. them in person. When you unless see you it saw in Michael person, Jordan in person, not, magic in person. You see it at a sports bar on the big screen, great. Go to, in for real, in real life. Yeah. I saw him, uh, uh, Michael Jordan play and I, I couldn't believe what I was That's watching. about all you have to say. On I, that. I, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. I Just all I have to say. Yeah. I mean, yeah. No, it's so true. I, and that's part of why I'm trying to live vicariously through you because... Obviously, it's very apparent to you by now that the show is so important to me. It's not. Yeah, well, you got good taste. You picked a good show. <laughs> well, you picked a good one. I appreciate that. But it's just just to be able to hear what he was like, a masterclass in acting, and the the way that the way he's able to go from zero to a hundred in three seconds. Yeah. Well, the Goodmans know how to do that. Yeah. You know, I mean, they 
you know, you, you have actors that are, uh, they've got to carry it all day. They're in character 24-7. I don't know what that's about. I, I can't, I don't have that kind of energy to do that. Is that method? Is that what uh, that? Yeah, yeah, for lack of a better term, yeah, people would say that's method. Back in the 60s and 70s, when I was coming, in the 70s, certainly when I was coming up, that was very, very method. Very Brando, James Dean, very James Dean. If you read back on some of the James Dean stuff, it's a little out there. But, uh, yeah, it's very, very method stuff. Uh but James wasn't like that. He got in there, he warmed up, and then when he was ready to go, he was ready to go, and uh, he was done. That was it. He he was very comfortable in his own skin on that character. He was that guy. Um, it, it's just, uh, I don't know, it was unbelievable to watch. You know, it's like, again, like watching a Michael Jordan. The, the guy was born to do that part. You know, the guy was born to play ball like that. You know, it's, it's uh, he's the guy, and they were writing for him, and, you know, they're pitching to him, and... Um, and when you went on that set, you better know what the hell you're doing. Because, man, that was, uh, it was intense. Were you aware that Ray Liotta was the wish list, Tony Soprano? I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Before James Gandolfini was even a thing, the, and they were mapping out the initial... Well, that sounds right. See, David Chase would go the opposite. He yeah. would go the I want to find a real fluggable guy with a real mug face. And, yeah. and, and uh, James had that. He had that little boy. Th- he had danger. He had love. He had that little boy thing. He had everything going on in his face. He could turn it on anytime he wanted. It made him really interesting. Um, the little boy comment is interesting. It's yeah, he, was a, he is a little boy. He's yeah. a little boy. He's just a little kid. You can see the little... He, I, I call it... You know, I'm going to get in trouble with saying this, but I won't give specific names. Sometimes when you watch actors um, and they're doing their bit, they're, they're, you see them on film, there's a hole in their soul. There's not something connected. They're, they're, they're not quite there. It's a little forced. It's a little, you can see them watching themselves act. I know this because I've done it myself. So you can really spot it when you see it. James wasn't like that. He wasn't, he wasn't a phony guy at all. It wasn't a phony bone in his body. And he brought that on screen. I mean, it was authentic. It was real. And... Um, yeah, it was it was something to watch, you know. Sound like a fanboy, but it was something to watch. No, you were there, so to be it's actually um, objective what you're saying. Did you watch the show in its entirety? Not when it first came on. But have you since? Have uh, you seen? Oh, the show? have I seen the whole yeah, show? Have you seen the All whole show? Um, I've probably seen. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, not you know what? Let me take that back. Probably not every episode. Um, when I say, when you ask me if I seen the show, I didn't watch my shows because I was I'm kind of superstitious. I have a show or a movie coming unless I have to go to a screening or a premiere or something. Right. I typically won't watch it because I don't want to jinx it. Yeah. I'll tape it or record it and then I'll watch it afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that is. It's kind of like baseball players have their favorite socks, their favorite hat, their favorite glove, you know, a favorite tobacco they chew. I mean, it's, you know, it's I'm kind of superstitious like that. It's weird, I know, but, but so I'm you like, watched it in in spots. In spots, yeah. Okay, you yeah. saw the finale, obviously. Oh yeah. What did you think of it? What was your reaction? It blew my mind. It was just the opposite of what I thought it was going to be. You know, uh, it was the same thing you had in Breaking Bad. It's just again, it's David Chase and those writers. You know, and I, I got to tell you, uh, you know, it sounds like I'm fanning the flame on David Chase. You know, I was prepared not to like the guy and that he'd not like me. I was so wrong about that. This guy had his hand, his finger on the pulse of everything on the writing. Let me go specifically into that. I can tell you this much. Um, we were on the set and Robert and I started our first day and we were doing the bar scene there and he was telling about how he lost all the money 
and the college, uh, the kids, uh, college fund and whatever, and I kind of flipped out on them. We, we started with that scene. Well, sometimes in a script, a writer will type out, you know, um, I'm going to the store. That's the line. And maybe to the actor, it feels a little bit stiff. And you said, well, I'm going to the store. No, you don't really change the text of the meaning. It's just maybe it's, uh, or maybe there's a soliloquy or a paragraph. You need a couple words to get into a hook or a look, look, here's the situation, whatever it may be. And so David was opposed to that. He wanted every word said exactly the way it was typed on the script. And I wasn't used to that. And so they had two guys off camera that were uh, production guys reading the script, following along as we were acting, as we were acting it. And to was, make sure you do what we, you're supposed to we're do. Make sure we do what we're supposed to do. Make sure we said So every, he had eyes on the ball even if he, when he wasn't oh, there. Oh, big time. And that was, you know, Vic, I got to tell you, it drove me nuts. I mean, that's, that's the truth about it. And so I would say to John Patterson... And um, I said, hey, John, look, is everybody, what's the deal with this? I mean, I just, can I just say it like that? I mean, I'm have this feels a little stiff to me. Can I just, no, no, I'm going to say it. Well, let me hear it. Let me, well, let me watch you do it. And then he would come around and say, you know what? Let's shoot it both ways. <laughs> Which means I'm going to give this actor what he wants so he can feel good about himself, and then we're going to go do the, We're going to do it a second time. We're going to get what I want. On and the cutting what, room floor. And then yeah, I'm going to be looking. You know, my best work is looking up at people on the cutting room floor, and then this kid will be on the floor. Now, why did he do that? Because he's smart. Yeah. He's real smart. You don't want to have an, uh, an argument with an actor or get cantankerous with an actor or try to debate with an actor. You say, yeah, if you want to do it. So that's what John would do. And, but he would tell me, listen, you know, this is the way they want it, but if you want to do it that way. So I only did that a couple times, and then I backed off of it. As I look back on the show, again, David Chase was right on the money. He was right on everything he said, you know. And he commented to me, uh, or it was talked to me, uh, I got talked to about that, because uh, I had asked around the other actors and whatnot, and um, they were getting the same thing. Well, you got to remember... You guys have slept with this, what, three years, four years, five years? The idea of the show, the Bible of the show, the characters. Um, how do we make this uh, sympathetic character? Uh, but he kills good guy. He, he's a bad guy and he kills people. But how, would he make, how do we make him a hero? Who is he going to be married to? When we, once we cast this actor to come in to play opposite, well, what we need is kind of a better-looking Tony Soprano. Can we get that? I mean, that's what we really want to do here. For Edie, can we get somebody that's a little more streamlined and not as rough as Tony? So, I mean, they thought about all these things. So when you come in and want to change a word here or there, even though I, I, it was pretty benign to me, but it's a big deal for them. So I got it right away, and I stopped doing that. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, some of your rancor because you felt like you, you said at the beginning of this conversation that, that they didn't want you? Was that, was that the chip that you, you did you come in onto the set with a chip on your shoulder? Is that some of it? No, I didn't come in with the chip. I came in wanting to get that thing off my shoulder because I was in my head. You were in your head. I was in my head. Totally okay. my fault. Okay. I, you know, um, you know, I was just, uh, <laughs> you know, I was feeling good about myself, you know, let's say, because I'd done a lot of work and I, I, I so my thought was, well, I didn't, well, I didn't have this conversation with you, Vic, but, but when I was mentioned, when that was mentioned to me by my manager, Herb Nanis, I said, Herbie, then if they 
if they don't like L.A. guys, then why am I doing this? Like, actors want they're race. We're racehorses, you know. We want we want to win for you. We want to be liked. We want to win for you. We want to go to do a good do a great job, and we want to know that you want us there. And then we're all in. That's pretty much been my experience. So that played in my head a little bit. And as I was mentioning to you before, when I was talking about not getting the script, I found out from Robert Pactor, he wasn't getting a script either. And then, as I mentioned, also mentioned to you, when we did that read-through and David was saying, hey, listen, you guys can't say anything about this, say anything about that. And then I went, oh, okay. And then later on, as I said after the show, everything he said was right. I was getting invited here. I was being called about this. I mean, some people didn't. They just wanted to know the story about They wanted to get the scoop. Yeah, and David was right. So yeah. he was protecting his investment, and he had, a, he had a bull by the horns, and he had a, he had a rocket. I mean, he, he, was on, he was riding a rocket. I mean, that show is huge. So what's the show's legacy, in your opinion? I think it's just going to be keep being discovered over and over and over again. By is generation. it timeless? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely timeless. You know, it's absolutely timeless. Um, you know, I mentioned some other shows that are not along the same genre. All in the Family, you know, you, you, Happy Days. Now, it's nothing like The Sopranos, but, uh, you know, The Waltons, that kind of legacy. You're talking about Mount Rushmore type uh, stuff. I'm talking iconic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's never going to go away. I mean, long after you and I are gone, The Sopranos will be playing somewhere. This will be Jackie Gleason. This will be The Honeymooners. This will be... You get what I'm saying. It, well it, it, it will it will be on and on. It will be playing in some country uh, all over the world many, 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 many times, morning, noon, and night. So to wrap things up, yeah. what are you doing these days? What am I doing these days? Um, uh, finished a movie called Last Resort Inn, uh, I-N-N. It hasn't been released yet. So what do you enjoy doing besides work? What I enjoy doing... Music, loves going over to my friend's house and, you know. You play? Yeah. I got my eight, I got my seven chords. I know them. Okay. <laughs> I play them. And, uh. What kind of music do you like? Um, you know what? This is a whole, I'm such a geek on it. I'm so gacked out on music that, uh, I can't even answer that question because I feel I'm being, uh, you're leaving somebody out? I'm leaving somebody out. Well said. Are you a Van Morrison fan? Oh, genius. Do you know Astral Weeks turned 50 a couple weeks ago? Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, that album was just turned 50, and I'm a huge music head too, and I've been listening to that album. Basically, I've devoted uh, the month of December to Astral Weeks because... Yeah, I, mean, I came up with all the stuff, Van Morrison, uh, James Taylor, all the R&B stuff, uh, Motown stuff, yeah. even some of the uh, Frankie Valley, you know, the, the Drifters, even want to go back, Temptations, Four Tops, Motown stuff. You know, music on the show was one of the big things. Oh! David Chase is uh, David probably Jess, the music head. He is a music nut. I yeah. think probably he and Scorsese, if you go and watch, everybody knows this, I think, that's watched any Scorsese movies, um, music. Wow, do they hang music in there so well. It's an extra character. In it the is, show. it is. It's such a big deal. What was the last book you read? Last book I read was um, Don Miguel Ruiz, The Four Steps, The Four, four Agree- Agreements. Four Agreements. Yeah. And that's been around for what, 37 years or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, a buddy of mine, uh, my buddy's wife turned me and I said, oh, take a look at that. I just, I just read that like uh, a couple of weeks ago. Another uh, kind of corny, but uh, Shel Silverstein, The Giving Tree. Uh, that was always, I read that many, many years ago. I think it's, I think it's 23 pages. I'm kind of making it up, but it's, it's, no, it's not more than that. Big green kind of Dr. Seuss book. It's a uh, devastating story. Oh, man. When I first read that, that hit me so hard. Yeah, and I'm a parent now, and when I read it to my child, I sometimes I can't make it all the way through. 
Yeah. Because it's just like, Yeah, oh, I'm man. a big crybaby. I get yeah. real emotional. No, yeah. no, you start thinking about your own parents, and then it's just... Oh, yeah. The, uh, yeah. It, it, Giving Tree is a powerful book. Yeah. That's a beautiful way to end. Joe, thank you so much thank for you, Vic. being on the podcast. It's been a pleasure Thanks. to sit down with you and meet you. And um, hopefully you can watch the show again, and then you and me can nerd out on this again sometime <laughs> okay. down the road. Thank you, Vic. Appreciate it, bud. Take care.